namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa buddhang dhammang sanglang namasami some of the things you begin to recognize you develop uh, more um, self-awareness watchful, attentive to the energies, the behavior patterns the mood swings, the surges, the sinking this this subjective experience we have how much reactivity is there and how much um, how out of control a lot of it is Just ricocheting and reacting and bouncing and feeling drawn and held and pushed and driven and dropped and dumped and <laughs> overridden and uh, and so on and urged on and so forth and first of all it sometimes seems like some of it seems like me or things I really want to do, uh, things that interest me or, or I'm in and so forth. But when you develop more of that self-awareness, you begin to see there's something so comp- compelling about it all. And do we to begin to ask ourselves, does one have a choice to just to not do or to, you know, Where's the where's the driven in that? Where's the compelling in that? Where's the urgent in that? Where's the uh, that that kind of thing that keeps us going? Because as you begin to recognise when you meditate, how difficult it is to stop doing things. Even when we use a term like that, there can be a when you say something like that, just try to stop doing something, then sometimes what occurs is a reaction of, well, if you sit there doing nothing for the rest of your life, you know, the world will go, no, it didn't mean that. I meant like 10 minutes, stop doing. <laughs> but the, the very idea of it uh, can strike a chord whereby there's a reaction to that that sense, that, that very notion. It's almost like it becomes a blasphemy against uh, an unspoken religion that we've all um, devoted to. to. Uh, thou, thou shalt do. The God of doing. So it's not that, of course, one should never do anything, but just, is there some, some gearing on this? Is, is there a way of turning it down or switching it off for a while, just like you would any other system, time to rest, or uh, why, why is that never the case? Mm. Why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult externally? And, and why is it so difficult internally? And, and how many of the so-called external things that we have to do, and I really ought to, and it's this kind of day for that, and we have actually, we've structured them in, you yeah. know. We're the ones who said, who created those very things. 
that then we feel held by and compelled by. It gets very eerie when you, you begin to see how something in us sets up structures and uh, um, obligations that then drain us and we feel um, um, strung out by or, or trapped by. You know, how much in control are we of our lives? So it becomes very apparent, certainly living as a summoner, you know, when you, you see really, you know, breathing in, breathing out, meditating, keeping the precepts. And yet life can get very busy, very full, very intense. Um, and the very structures and the situations that we set up to make our lives kind of okay and you know suddenly become really quite uh, demanding and and can easily blot out the essential emptiness the essential openness the essential spaciousness of our lives trying to fix and tidy and sort and make it this way and make it that way Um, and again this is not to say that we we shouldn't do anything but just how just how much is in where does the balance lie Mm. how much is one really surveying that balance and taking that balance very seriously crucially because the it's not doing or not doing it's compulsion that's the real sign of there's an addiction here. And there's a bond, there's a trap here. And somehow Mara, the deceiver, the delusion has got into our good intentions and our good energies and created a trap out of them. can happen with external activities, it also happen with meditation and, you know, spiritual activities, what we call spiritual activities, it's not something that just ends with um, quitting a job, you know, you find in, in monasteries people get very, very busy about nothing, you know, I know. 148th translation of the Dhammapada, which really ought to be done by now. Really? Why? We've got 147 of them already. <laughs> you know, kind of projects and hobbies and things of this nature that we can get into. Planning. Planning for the future. Becomes a kind of an activity that keeps us bubbling and busy worrying about the possibilities. And there's always a, a kind of um, a reason and a justification for it. Mm-hmm. And how quickly one springs to defend these positions. And so you kind of begin to recognize this and say, well, you know, can you just stop for half an hour? Ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Not just stop 
physically, but also stop verbally and stop thinking, and even quieten the surging of the heart. And when we begin to see, hey, this is pretty difficult, then this is not to say that you know it just it just to recognize you know how that this whole doing bit, the volitional trends, the volitional pushes, are things to take very seriously and reflect on and learn to hold carefully because Mara gets in there now fundamental goal is the non-volitional Nibbana, the ending cessation of compulsion the cessation of doing the cessation of of, of uh, resistance the cessation of activity the stopping that's uh, so that goal. So when we meditate, the this is recognition that it's difficult to stop, and there we can use ideas where just relax or let go. Actually, um, if it was that easy, then anybody lying on a beach would get would realize nibbana. Whenever we went to sleep, we'd go to nibbana. But you don't, you don't let go. Just for, it doesn't happen just through, just through relaxing. Because yeah. what often happens is we relax a certain level of compulsion and we go to another level. You know, thoughts need to be entertained, need to chat, need to do something, need to move around, need to feel something. So you look at it very fully, very, very comprehensively. You know, so I'm not working. I'm not busy, but. Oh, we need to take a walk and have a chat, phone somebody up, oh, go out to dinner, da 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 da. You know, it's still there, isn't it? You know, it's called having fun, enjoying myself. And you say, You mean I shouldn't enjoy myself? No, 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 no it's not, not saying that it's some kind of puritanical thing about, you know, life's got to be miserable or you shouldn't enjoy yourself, but just just to, to hold or recognize that, that push. Because it's not about taking moral stances, or it couldn't even, you know. There's another sort of activity is to is to to start making ideologies. It's another kind of compulsion, isn't it? To say this is right and that's wrong. Stop. So there's a compulsion to stop things, but it's not about compulsions. It's about you know recognizing what compulsion is and what is it that, that knows compulsion addiction is able to be steady with that mm. now often we we do because of our uh, you know, conditioning both being sentient which means it's something out there happening we resonate with it, we sense it, we feel it, we see it, it affects us. So it sets up a kind of tremble, being a sentient being. Definitely there's the nerve systems are there to keep us alert. And hey, it might be something you've got to do here, duck. You know, if it... Uh, so a friend of mine you know, said this slogan, he says, well, you know, if it, if it, if it lies down, kick it. If it's if it's on a plate, eat it. If it jumps, it's Australian. 
It's the three kinds of formations he saw in the world. <laughs> so your nerve endings are kind of looking for, well, this might be something dangerous here, or something I've got to do, something I've got to say, something I've got to protect myself against, or make happen. Yeah, okay, that. So that's part of the conditioning of being sentient, isn't it? Yeah. And then when we say, come and sit in a room like this, then, you know, you know, there can be a kind of feeling coming up of you've got to be on, you've got to be something or make something or get something going or have a useful time and come out at the end of the de- out of the meditation period having got somewhere and then you, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. I can get up here thinking, right, I've got to say something and make something work and inspire or arouse them. Oof. Just, just through, just through that sense contact, that kind of little rush can come up, because it's not okay just to be here and uh, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> Beats me. <laughs> so you know, you you get this kind of little tremble comes up particularly you see other other human beings who mean a lot to us. They can praise us, blame us, love us, hate us, resent us, uh, feel grateful. There's a lot there, investment, isn't there? So you see another human being, something starts happening already. Uh, so we have that. And then we, on top of that, we have a lot of, you know, so, more social conditioning, which is to be useful. Make your way be useful. Then you get... Because you're a useful person, then you're valued and worthwhile and so on. And these kind of things. Really busy, go ahead, get it done kind of person is a really good, useful person. You get these things. But what we can find is the more that we uh, follow those energies, we get drawn out you know, into doing and making and trying to make things work and make people happy and so forth. And you start to, you know, you you, you lose a centre, a quiet centre. There's a lot of anxiety in trying to make things around okay. And with it comes this, this, this sense of once everything's okay, you know, then... We'll be all right. Then you know we saw that. Da, 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 da. Then we can be all right. But it never is okay, is it? You know, maybe little moments of it before the next thought of something I should have done, somebody I should have phoned, somebody I should have remembered, and what about what? But a plan for next year and so on. This is because we we move out of centre. We go out into the conditioned realm where there are. There's future, past, things, effects, cause and effects, um, all that. You know, and you tingle with it. We tingle with that. And there's a lot goes on there, and a lot that the world makes of all that, in terms of performance and beauty and skill and value in all that. So that be- that becomes 
our focus, that becomes our central point, that becomes this statement of who I am, that becomes a statement of what I'm here about, that becomes a statement of my life, how well can I handle and be in that flow and make it come up with good things that feel good and people like. But you see how, you know, millions of people doing that, millions of people doing that, and it's still not all right. And there's a lot of fighting over all that, isn't there? And jealousy over all that, and resentment over all that. Um, And fear over all that. And grief over all that. And something in us, when when we just follow that, we begin to identify ourselves with the particular surge of the nervous system you know, the particular energy of something surging through us and when it's surging through in a, in a particular way, we think, oh that's the good bit I'm happy you know. but just you contemplate those surges uh, on the nerves, the emotions, the charging up, the strong feelings you know, could it ever be steady could it ever be satisfying and when do you start to burn out with it all? Then you're just overloaded. And then there's maybe depression comes, sits in you, tired, depressed, overloaded. Oh, I just can't make it. I'm useless. So then sort of crash out and then slob out somewhere and then surge up for the new thing. Because you see how your your focus and what you sense yourself as being is very much in that in that chart in that charge in that buzz in that energy in that feeling in that tingle in that that sort of sense and that's uh, that's it's like a fire it's attractive it pulls us in like moths to a candle and you get you get wired to it. And it's got the same addictive pull, the same compulsion to it as the way that the candle flame just draws the moth in. And how to, so just relaxing doesn't take you out of that. And if that were the true centre of our lives, we'd be stable and, cent- and and complete there, but we're not. There's always something more to do and something to remember and something to add to and something to tidy and something to... So it never is um, stable and steady. So it, it can't be you know, the central focus. It's a peripheral thing. It's something we can participate in something we can you know produce blessings with something we can have a say in make our contribute if you like but it can't be a a centre the centre the more that you uh, meditate and and uh, contemplate with awareness well awareness itself that quality of watchfulness or knowing attentiveness 
becomes more um, it's not a conceptual thing it's more a kind of feeling of being spacious emotionally spacious some clarity being grounded feeling steady and grounded in you where you are and you're present and that, that feels more central and as, and, and as, as you it's, it's like a center that's just open it's not a center that's doing or driving or making or understanding or anything like it's just a center that's just open like a space a very soft center And uh, you, you see that the the activity side of us the, is repelled by that. Feels very awkward because it starts to, to come undone, and that that compulsion, that conditioned nature, really feel goes very wobbly and awkward when it touches that because it starts to come undone we begin to first of all recognize how unsteady it is when it starts to come undone and then how precarious it is um, and then how um, you know a feeling of losing ourselves even because we're losing that conditioned focus that we've taken ourselves to be and with it becomes a kind of a almost like a panic or a uh, a twitch, a restless push away, something to think about or make or establish or remember comes up. It's where we, where what we assume ourselves to be is starting to come undone. And that's fearful to that which is conditioned the unconditioned is fearful to the conditioned it's uh and that's the that's the that's the the edge that's the area that we that we really need to to uh skillfully work through what what's happening as the me is starting to unravel can't do, I don't know. And with that become, uh, as, as that undoes, comes up various uh, rather childlike moods sometimes. You know, panic, looking for comforts, something to taste or eat or think, reassurance, something to do. Yeah. It kind of can be quite a feeling of loneliness or sadness can be there. These are the these are the undertones when the the compulsion is being undone. These undertones of loss come up, and this is very uh, disturbing. So for uh, for. You know, much of the time we can just touch into that and think, "Oh, something's going wrong," and then try to rise up to the next something else. You know, something to pull me together, something to get you know riveted on, something to get charged up by. I don't like that that wobbly bit.
but I feel myself that uh, it's the the way through is to is to go through that or to recognize there is a going through that there is a letting go there is a penetration through that you know to you know to actually work against those 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 drives those confused emotions that propel us away from that wobble to hold the wobble gently and carefully and to let oneself drop through it and there is a there is a dropping through it sometimes a slow process sometimes a very um, embarrassing process of see the mind bottoming out the emotional stuff that comes out when the mind begins to dissolve or unravel what we think we are into that quiet center but it can be done of course classically meditation is um, our, our staff if you like that we can hold on to the rope that we can lower ourselves down on so we don't just plummet into into this uh, wobbly stuff and go chaotic and bounce out again you have to lower yourself down on a rope through that this is really the way I understand meditation it's not to to find something else to, to hang on to ultimately but to recognizing that most of us need a thread just to be stabilized by as we as we as things come apart until eventually you get to the end of the rope and you there's the quality of uh, the inner core the stability is there and you don't need it anymore and then the letting go happens by itself there's no point standing there with your arm holding a piece of rope you don't need so you, you don't even think about dropping it just you know it just it happens because there's no need for that one should be aware in meditation of the of the trends for Mara to make meditation over volitional you know another set of things I can do to keep myself busy and gain and loss and praise and blame and performance and you know stuff like that where one sets oneself you know almost impossible goals of refinement or techniques that really are buying into worry restlessness doubt So making something that meditation is is something to lean on, something to rest into, something to be held by. You do recognise that uh, you know one of the things that enables us to come out of our volitional doing is just like a you know when a baby is squalling or tantrum, you just pick it up and rock it. It feels the rhythm, the steady rhythm of being held, and it begins to sense that and its own jangled panic begins to dissolve and it starts cooing with the rhythm so uh, a lot of meditation is rhythmic you know mantras are rhythmic walking is rhythmic breathing is rhythmic you just and it's a rhythm particularly when you get to a rhythm that you don't actually do like you don't decide to breathe in and think about breathing out and get it right it just happens so when you have a, a rhythm that's already there, 
it's a it's a very helpful uh, stepping stone between the conditioned which is about me doing something yeah, and the unconditioned it's a kind of a condition that, I, that I, I'm not doing it's a condition that's that's established for me already so a bit of me can let go into a, into a condition into a, uh, you know, so it's a kind of halfway house so so you know breathing in breathing out and the rhythm of that which is what the Buddha emphasized he didn't emphasize a particular point in the body or a particular place or just emphasizes breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, knowing it long, knowing it short, breathing fully, letting it deepen, calming, letting, you know. So, you, how much doing is required in that? And it's happening already. So, the doing bit is more a matter of just learning to tune in, is a phrase I might use. So, it's not, not that you're not doing nothing, it's not that you're not completely inactive. You know, completely inactive, but the, the activity is quite subtle. It's just re- being more receptive, rather than so. The, instead of out there doing it, you're just the doing bit is, is refined down to receiving, and just balancing and adjusting, and staying with. So in that, you begin to relax all those uh, the energies that want it to happen faster, get on, make it work. Uh, the energies that are looking for something, some special hit, and of course all the external energies of you know work and effect and things I'm going to be doing tomorrow and stuff like that. So you use the the sense of deliberately tuning into an ongoing process as something you can the rope that you can hold on to in order to let go of these other things. Mm-hmm. And it's more than just con- thinking, it's, e- it's energy. Energy is quite churned up and, and, and agitated. And it propels the heart, it propels the mind. So to not to really start thinking about your thinking, but just to feel the surging, charging, restless energy of it, and the worry of it, and the fretting of it. And it's like something you can feel, something, panic. You know, panic and anxiety. And then feeling the how the breathing or the walking, you know, maybe breathing is too subtle, so just walking steadily up and down, backwards and forwards, and that's a rhythm too. When you so you tune into how you, you know how your body energy is when you walk, how the um, and just let it. Uh, calm the way that you a baby feels calm by the rocking being gently rocked it takes a while sometimes doesn't it you have a child you notice that it doesn't immediately stop switch it off you have to hold it and rock it eventually it gets there it feels the comfort and uh, you know something in us does attune to that we are rhythmic sensed uh, sent, uh, creatures that's our home base the heartbeat you were born into that, weren't you? Right there in the womb, you, you, you sense that, the pulsing. That's your sentient origin. 
So in a way that remains, that's the place we go back to. And it comforts. This is why you use something like that. Breathing in, breathing out, walking up and down. And what we need to do with that is to acknowledge and let go, relax the, the fetters that block that, make us tight or locked or driven or hard or uh, dreamy, drifting off. So it's that kind of tuning in. Mm. and receiving the effects. So sometimes when it isn't something you're you're doing, the one of the the way the hindrances work is you don't really notice it anymore. Oh it's going on, you drift off because you're not doing it, you're not really interested in it. And there's supposed to be a real willingness to listen inwardly to that rhythm and and because um, it's that taking an interest in it that means you're taking it seriously. I don't mean seriously, seriously, but it becomes uh, uh, valid. Um, it's the place where you can regroup. You can reconstellate yourself around though that simplicity, that receptivity, that innocence. And then you, you know, it's a way you can move out of having to be the complex. Uh, involved person is to be in that simplicity and that innocence so the further development of meditation is to develop more of the appreciative sense of that uh, and receiving it and feeling held by it trusting it that's quite a that is a deep profound practice to trust the simplicity of that certainly you know in my own mind and the sense it in other people how much we are on you know yellow alert pink alert orange alert whatever but there's something there that's ready to jump ready to defend ready to leap jump to a conclusion You you hear one thing jump to the conclusion make a decision make it work you can get going you know that kind of Whatever, there's a huge amount of of um, mistrust or anxiety. So when we come to spaces where things are not entirely clear or known or the pattern isn't established, we can get quite angry and aggressive, even. You know? sort it out, let's get going, I'm fed up with this. Or we can get, f- feel um, unsafe, 
and rattled. So it's very important to to use the meditation and trust and refuge as of like just protecting and feel protected by it. You have your however long you have, your hour, your half an hour, your daily practice. Just try to give yourself that allowance mm. to to uh, relax those those uh, conditions of of alarm being you know threatened by life being have to be match fit being on the starters blocks ready to jump and tune in to a very conscious full appreciation as if you're drinking in a transfusion it's going to uh, be for your welfare. It doesn't work unless you're really conscious of it. So, in a way, it's about not doing, but there is a doing. There is a doing which is attention. If you don't really attend to it, then it doesn't it doesn't crystallize. Attention is required to that process. That's why it's not just about relaxing. It's also about brightening up and. Because it's attention that that understands what's happening, takes a picture of it, feels it out, and, and you regroup something, and you finds a core within that. And that's a crucial point, because the the requirement to have a a, a core or a sense of stability is so so um, deep in us that. We continually seek it in things that are not stable. We try to arrange things that are inherently unstable. Days, lives, furnishings, you know, things that we know full well are impermanent and changing. And yet something that keeps attending to that in order to try to find somewhere we could hold them together for at least for a, a few months or a few weeks or a few years you know, because of that, that tremendous drive to find some sense in which you can have a feeling of permanence that enables you to find stability. Now, actually, that that is a true that that instinct is is truthful. The uh, problem the Buddha points to is that. We're trying to find the stable in what isn't stable, but there is a stable, and that's that's the refuge. That's nibbana. Is the stable? It's called the safe, the stable, the island, the place where you can rest. And the stability is provided by attention. So, with attention, what happens? by itself with attention is you begin to or something begins to regroup or attune or constellate around subtler and subtler senses of being till your your sense of being becomes something more like just awareness of being here and that you feel that becomes very solid for you 
It's not a solidity of form or a solidity of content, it's a solidity of knowing, of just an open, alert attentiveness. And actually, now that, you know, that's not dependent upon things coming and going. It's not, it's not dependent upon things that are inherently unstable. And this is what we can descend into. And it is, I sense, for many of us, it is a kind of descent energetically because our energies are so thrown up and out. So we may think of Nibbana as something that's up there and really, and that may be useful. But my sense for uh, many of us is that energies are actually so out and thrown up and hyper that you need to actually descend and drop to it, but drop in a careful, attentive way to the place where there's no doing. Or at least, if there is doing, you're, you're aware of that. You're holding that doing so it doesn't run out of control. You're holding you know, the energy of the heart or the energy of the body or the uh, energy of the hindrances. And so one of our fundamental meditation themes is just at any particular moment to be able to know for ourselves through attention how much in our activities, in our speech, in our thoughts, in our good intentions, how much hindrance has crept in, the way that Mara has polluted it, how much worry is there in our activities you know, good ideas, which is about just worry and, and fretfulness. So, you know, and these uh, hindrances, so ill will, resistance, grudge, negativity, resentment, mm. sense, desire or ambition, either craving to be full, fill up, fill up with something, something of a sensory nature or to fill up with some project something we're going to do or something we're going to be to fill up the, the emptiness with something yeah. irritation and resentment gives us some sort of ground to hold on to that we can keep chewing over and growling around doesn't it and uh, <laughs> hardening up around you know, when we feel something that's saddening or disappointing or isn't the way I like it, you know, we could, something this could just let go, you know, into realizing things don't go my way. I'm not in control. People aren't the way I want them to be. I don't like that funny feeling. I feel very odd, queasy about that. So instead of that, something comes up and just. Growl, grumble, grumble. I don't, you know, this isn't something I decide to do. It's it's a almost a, 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 an energetic reflex that occurs when things are not in accord, in sync with what I'm used to. You know, a bit of irritation comes up, exasperation, frustration. A lot of uh, monastic life is 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 scored with frustration because here we are following group forms and group routines according to classical modes and so forth. 
and you know it, it's not my way it's a bit more my way now after 30 years of it but when you start it's definitely it's a big wrench so a lot of you know you can't move fast when you want to move fast but you can't move slow when you want to move slow you can't be on your own when you want to be on your own and you can't be with people when you want to be with people it's always going another way than I want it so you get frustrated <laughs> and then it can either go into ill will, resentment or you just feel oh, depressed sad, gloomy and those are, those are the hindrances are there and they, they act as a kind of reflex to take us away from that terrifying realisation of it's not me, it's not my way it's not, you know I'm helpless. That that kind of emptying sense when all that you, all your ways of being that you've assumed you are, are being checked. And there's a sense of, well, what's left? And you enter that kind of queasy, shaky territory of uncertainty and irrationality and all the reactions that come up, the depressions and the resentments and the craving that come up you know when when out, when my way starts to be checked and come apart and this is the area where the hindrances were you know quite a nice guy before i started this caper <laughs> carefree <laughs> sort of <laughs> You know, but but because of course one cannot generally steer one's act enough to keep things at, at arms arms distance. You don't. You're not actually nailed <laughs> and opened like this stuff does. So you get the resentment, the frustration, and the, uh, at, the, at being taken away from one's familiar ground. Yeah, the craving of something I could get pick up, get a buzz out of, you know, addiction, isn't it? So I could get a little bit that momentum going on, so it'd make me feel good. So it, often it's oral, oral craving, you know, something to put into me to charge me up a bit, something to get hold of, sexual craving, or ambition, you know, some great thing I can do a marvellous project or some place I could go and even if you can't formulate these things you know, I could think of some great thing I could do I don't think of anything great I could do <laughs> and then the, the, the uh, sloth and torpor these are two forms one is a form of of almost like a it's more like a mental inclination which is I'm not willing I'm hanging back I'm dragging my heels I'm not going to I'm not going to go on this I'm not willing I'm tired I'm fed up you know It's it's a resistance to playing the game it's a resistance to being part of something that's not my way 
So you can sort of say it hangs back. Yeah. It's sort of sullen, if you like. Another, the other aspect of it is, is a physiological uh, lack of energy. Because so often we are physiologically wired. You, know, you can sit here meditating, feeling quite, sitting here doing nothing, feeling quite dreamy and drowsy. And he suddenly comes in with a tray of chocolates and he picks up, suddenly quite awake, you know. <laughs> you know, or, or if uh, somebody wanted to play a video, you know, we can sit up all night watching videos and yet sit up all night doing nothing, oh, I'm too tired. <laughs> so you physiologically you get some highs off of contact and so when the contact impressions die down, the physiology goes wacky. So it does take, it's more than uh, just a psychological training, it's also a physiological or somatic training whereby you're trying to get the energy to, to attune to the presence of nothing much. It's like, you know, the, trying to run a car at two miles an hour without the engine stalling, when it will go happily at 40 or 50, but at two it starts to sputter, the engine sputters out. So, so that takes a bit of training. And then uh, restlessness and worry, very common. And it, they often mask as responsible and thinking things through and planning things and so on. But just to recognize, can you, is it, when can you, tur- can you turn it off? And how much of it is assuming, when you take responsibility, how much is assuming that you are the centre of the world and it won't happen without you doing it all. That kind of thing. Which I, I, I mean, I would never subscribe to that belief, but I certainly move into that, that emotional territory that's all up to me. I don't recognise I'm doing it. What happened? Wait a minute. You just sort of assume that, you know, you're the only one who has intelligence or the only one. You don't assume it, but it happens like that. It's a sense of the lack of trust, you know, which is a very deep thing for us. These hindrances are not, they're, they're compulsive, they're, they're much more than purely uh, mental activities. They, they come out of the area of. Going, coming undone. So part of us doesn't allow that coming undone because we so we we restlessly worry and do things in order to to avert that funny feeling of well I don't know if this is going to happen or going to work and maybe you know you have to wait and see what comes up and it might not be right and it might not be my way and that sense. So when we uh, and doubt, which is the the, the uh, trying to fill up the emptiness with a thought, with a conclusion, with a plan. If I haven't got one myself, I'll ask somebody else for it. Fill up that space of of uncertainty with a thought or an idea, 
plan, strategy, who's in charge, tell me what to do. You contemplate these these things, and the, the so with the hindrances, the the knack is is to not go into a whole kind of shame guilt trip over them, because they are in a way doors that will certainly keep us out of the unconditioned. But if they're held properly, they will open into the unconditioned. That's why in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha strongly recommends us to mindfully be fully aware of the hindrances as they arise, what supports them, where they, how they subside and what supports that. So you really understand or feel them impartially without adding more doubt, ill will, restlessness to them. This is how it feels, this is how worry feels in the nerves, how it feels through my fingers as it runs in my heart, the, the kind of moods it sets up, the way the world appears when I'm infected with restlessness and worry, what I see, you know, what actually strike, what impressions strike my eyes when I, when my mind is full of resentment or anger. You know, suddenly the world looks that way. Isn't it interesting? You know, it completely, you know, when the, when the eyeball is, is saturated with stuff, we see things through these lenses. And yeah, look, there's all these things that are wrong and shouldn't be the way they are. And, then we, and it's true. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, they have that power to them. So it isn't trying to to just um, dismiss them, but to to really uh, when you look outwardly and you look inwardly and you see the qualities of aversion or doubt or worry, well, it's like this externally, internally. It's like this, and you feel that the the surge, the, the passion, the intensity. Hindrances are all in, intensely captivating and they limit your freedom, your agility and your space and your humour and your love. Now could we extend some space and humour and even love to the hindrances? Compassion spaciousness, warmth, humour, not laughing at them, but a sort of a gentle, you know, I recognise this, oh here we are again, you know, not just me, but how it is in others, this is our human plight, a sense of good humour to that. So that opens the door. This is what way we fill out awareness. So it's not just a, a kind of blank, glazed stare, but a really heartful holding of these very powerful, compulsive energies. As we hold them, you don't, you're not contributing to them. The whole energy of the mind and the heart is shifting. And it, that shift into something spacious and warm and steadying. That's the rope that you hold on to while these forms 
unravel and jangle and finally begin to release themselves. To find uh, or to awaken, to awaken into a center that is it's not a it's firm and yet it's not hard to regroup around that to really trust that because it hasn't been something one has arrived at through uh, belief or an act of will or trying to make something happen one arrives at it through a uh, a painful and revealing unraveling mm. it seems to me this is what one can deeply trust and what the world seems like from there so when you're in the grip of a hindrance the world will confirm that you will see all the unfair you will see all the the luscious and attractive you will hear all the desperate and the miserable you'll definitely you know it's all you're wired because that's what your senses pick up and your impressions formulate around that when you're restless, you'll see all the things you need to do, and remember all the things you should have done, and how dreadful it be if you don't. But you can't, you know, I just really recommend that you don't dismiss that, don't believe in it, don't keep formulating, don't keep being loyal to that. But do listen up to it. Oh, this is, this is whole restlessness again, this is whole worry. How are you doing today? No. Busy old day, worry's having. Let's just sit with, sit a while together with the worry and breathe in and out with it. Walk up and down with it, holding it in your chest, holding it in your, feeling it where it's gripping your belly. You wake up, you know, to the sense of your belly's all twisted up in knots. Well, let's just walk up and down with this belly and carry it along through the nice open space, feeling the rhythm of walking. Let it feel that, rocking the baby, and it starts to unravel. So it's a very immediate uh, practice. Sometimes for one's self-image, it's quite humbling.